Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Welcome to the Plot Podcast. The Plot Podcast is a co-production of the Winter Palace and the When It Was Cool Network. Before we start, I want to give a shout out and a get well soon to the big boss man, Carl, after his medical issues this week that I found out about while we were putting the show together. This is another episode that was originally designed to be something else. Originally, it was going to be about space movies because most of my free time for the last two or three weeks has been taken up by playing the new video game Starfield, and we will be having a Starfield podcast coming to the Winter Palace in the next week or so, but I was going to do something tied into it here, but then I got up this morning and I was reading social media on that site whose name isn't what it used to be, and I found out that today, as I record this, September 23rd, is the 35th anniversary of the British improv show Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, You may be familiar with the American version that was with Drew Carey in the late 90s and then hosted by Aisha Taylor on ABC and the CW and a variety of places and I believe was still going strong up until earlier this year before it ended but we're not going to talk about the American version at all which I may have only watched ever. We're going to talk about the British version, which is a show that is very fond of my heart because I started watching it when I was in college. I believe, if my history research is correct, it may have debuted on the rechristened Comedy Central in April of 1991. We'll get to more of that in a second. Like a lot of British television game shows slash panel shows, Whose Line actually began as a radio show. Uh, In 1988, Dan Patterson and Mark Levison approached the BBC for a radio improv show that would be kind of a blend of What's My Line and Whose Title was a pun on a play called Whose Life Is It Anyway? So the BBC agreed. They put it on Channel 4. Clive Anderson was the host and actor John Sessions and actor-comedian writer Stephen Fry, who we of course know now, were the two of the four regulars. There were four people and they did six episodes. The first episode had Sessions, Fry, Don French from French and Saunders, and... Lenny Henry, who were married then. Um, They did six episodes, and then they began talking about doing it on TV, and the BBC passed on the show, and so they took it to Channel 4. And so the the first series started in 1988 on Channel 4. 
it's very funny. If he, uh, the pilot you can watch online. They actually showed it in the at the end of season one, and it has a bunch of unfamiliar pe- people who really didn't uh, make many appearances on the television show, like John Glover and Jimmy Mulville, but also featured Sessions, who was in every episode of the first series, and. Josie Lawrence, who would also be in the first regular episode, and is probably one of the people most associated with the long history of the show. The first episode had Sessions, Josie Lawrence, Paul Merton, who was a relative unknown at the time, who was an improvisational comedian, who is another person who would go on to become well-known in British comedy circles thanks to the show, and American actor and improvisation artist and impressionist Archie Hahn, who may people may or may not know, he was in at least one of the Police Academy movies. But the interesting thing about the first season is it has a lot of famous guest stars who, when you watch the history of the show, really don't work all that well. Fry works because he's Stephen Fry and he's great, but if you look um, legendary comedian Peter Cook, you know, who had a longtime comedy duo with Dudley Moore in the 60s and would go on to be an actor was in an episode Betty Thomas, who people may remember from Hill Street Blues and later became a film director. She directed Howard Stern's movie Private Parts. Jonathan Price, you know, who was in Brazil and a bunch of Terry Gill other Terry Gilliam movies and is a famous actor was in it. A lot of people looking at the list whose names I don't even know without looking up. And then one of the other uh important regulars that we also saw sprinkled in season one were the American improvisational uh comedian Mike McShane, who at the time, was a relative unknown, although he was in the Kevin Costner Robin Hood playing Friar Tuck. And my personal favorite of everyone in the history of Whose Line, the very ribald Tony Slattery. So that's uh, most of the first season. Like I said, it's they in the first season, they still did Authors, which was usually the first game when uh, they had to come along, each person came with a pre-prepared author style to do a scene in the style of. And so it's very literary. I think probably your average audience, at least in the United States, who was watching it on cable then, may not have known who a lot of these British authors or historical authors actually were. Sessions was notorious for going very obscure. But let's find a clip and I'll show exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the first game is called Authors, and in this, the contestants have to take it in turns to tell a story in the style of an author of their own choosing. So if you'd like to come forward, contestants, and tell us who your author is. I'll be getting the title from the studio audience in just a moment for them to improvise with. Uh, Josie, have you thought Um, of an author? Christie. Agatha Christie, yes, jolly good. King James. King James. The famous, Bible. If, oh, yes, famous writing of the Bible, yes. 
Oh, that's very appropriate for, for a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, no, the programme goes on a Friday, so... <laughs> <laughs> Let, less appropriate, possibly, for the, uh, the show. Very, <coughs> very appropriate, because it'll be Sunday in a couple of days' time. Um, <laughs> and Paul? Uh, Do-it-yourself technical handbook. Yes. Marvellously well-read you are, Paul. And, and John, who have you gone for? I'm going to do... Uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Ah. And a very popular choice with the audience here. <laughs> for all, oh, we've been reading him during the week, just a bit. Now, yeah. from the studio audience, I'd like, if, if possible, a suggestion for the title of a story for them to tell. A Day in the Life of a Horny Llama. <laughs> <laughs> a Day in the Life of the Horny Llama. <laughs> yeah. Have you read a story called that already? <laughs> or, are you in the process of writing one? Or? <laughs> You write them regularly, so you're using this like sort of like a publicity plug for your own book. Yeah. Yes. Well, don't do it again. Okay. The day in the life of a horny llama. Just outside the street of Wilson Mansions, Hercule Poirot was walking along with his assistant Hastings, trying to get this llama off his leg. <laughs> Hastings, you're probably wondering why I've brought you to this street today. Well, it's this llama I've got on my leg. I can't seem to shake it off, Hastings. And Hastings did say unto Poirot, take this llama, go unto the garden with it, show it to another llama. <laughs> and the llama did beget llama, that did beget llama, that did beget llama, that begat llama, that begat llama. And Poirot said to Hastings, get this llama off my back. And Hastings said, do it yourself. <laughs> it was this point that uh, he had passed a doorway and he said, you notice this door has been planed on both sides. <laughs> if you notice that the grommets on the backward side or handle have been double screwed back to utilize a devil sink after jerk, dig out the sunk um, uh, piece of glass. Piece of glass, ah, huh? yes. The Colonel. Balazar Alcazar Diaz Macaya had often looked down into Macondo. Only the other morning he had got up to see his wife rise from her bed in beautiful Colombian silk, only to turn into a large white bird. Or was it? A llama. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Well, Well, I have to give some points uh, for that uh, round, and I can't distinguish between anybody there, so I'll give ten points each just to get us going. One of the conceits of the show, because it is a game show, is that Clive, as the host, awards points for people after each round of games. But, of course, there is no rhyme nor reason to the scoring, and oftentimes whoever actually quote-unquote won didn't actually win by the end of the episode. In that way, it's a lot like QI. You could probably say that given that there were a lot of similarities of contestants between Who's Line and QI, you could maybe say it's a spiritual successor in a way, even though QI was created by John Lloyd and not by Patterson and Levison. Anyway, some of the other games included things like film and theater styles where they had to do a skit based on suggestions from the audience for like 
a sitcom or a Marx Brothers movie or a Western or things like that. Uh, party Quirks, where somebody was the host of a party and the other three people came as guests and the host had to guess who they were or what they were supposed to be doing. And then, usually the show often had a segment or two where people sang. You could tell uh, Josie Lawrence is an accomplished singer. She's probably sang the most of anybody on the show. Uh, initially, they did raps, but eventually they settled on doing something called the hoedown. And uh, we move on to a game called Hoedown. This is a song for all four contestants. Have to come on down. They can make up a song on the spot in the form of a hoedown, uh, which is probably called High Down in America, for I know. And uh, this features Richard Branch at the piano. And uh, now we want a hoedown. We want a subject for it. Something that somebody here dislikes or hates. Motorways. 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 All right. Uh, big roads. I think you call it in America. So. Turnpikes. <laughs> Other comedy names like that. So driving, motorways, you know, auto routes, take it away. Greek. When I came to England, I met me a man. He was shiny and bald, his name was Clive Anderson. There was some confusion. I said, Where's the freeway? He said, No, you silly twat, it's called a motorway. I use the motorway each and every day. It really turns a lot like work. It really is not play. I got hit badly, and why do you suppose? I got rear-ended by a guy picking his nose. <laughs> Driving home from work can be lots of fun. Driving down the highway when your work is done. The bugs as they splat against my glass. The last thing that goes through their mind is their big fat ass. <laughs> I like the sound of motorways when things go splat. I look out my car window and I've run over a cat. The thing I really hate, the worst thing in my life is the stupid bastard who designed the M25. So that's from a season five episode in 1993 with Greg Proops, Ryan Stiles, Colin Mockery, and Tony Slattery. This is when, around the time, they started bringing over more North American comedians to to add some flavor to the show, which get which means which is when you got people like Greg Proops and Ryan Stiles who. These are all guys who are on the American Who's line that you probably know them from if you watch that. Greg Proops, a longtime alternative comedian. Ryan Stiles, who was on the Drew Carey show. Colin Mockery, who apparently was the person... I guess Proops and Mockery were the people who did the American version the most. Like I said, I didn't watch it. So I'll have to take your word for that. Um, I cut off the bit right at the end there, which is one of my favorite things, where at the end, people have to read the credits in a style of Clive's choosing, and 
there were uh, co-winners this episode where Greg, Ryan, and Kyle, Colin all won, and they had to read the style and the credits of Tony Slattery. It's a mostly visual gag um, with them prancing around, Ryan continuing tapping on his microphone, and then eventually they just start talking about uh, lady parts, which Slattery was known for. I guess I should mention at this point I was going to talk about the history of the show, and I kind of didn't. Um, the funny thing is that when it started showing in America, it was apparently... Um, kids, you may not know this, there used to be two different comedy channels on. Uh, one was called Ha! H-A! Exclamation point. That was owned by HBO. And another channel called the Comedy Channel, which was owned by Viacom. And then eventually they realized it was stupid to have two channels, and they merged together, and that became Comedy Central. And so, Whose Line apparently was one of, was uh, debuted on the very beginning of Comedy Central in April of 1991. Uh, according to something I saw online, it was probably started in the first week of Comedy Central. And for people in the 90s who grew up watching this, whether they were kids or they were in college like we were, um, the staples of the Comedy Central were Who's Line, Mystery Science Theater, and probably uh, either Stand Up, Stand Up, and or Short Attention Span Theater, which was hosted for a long time by Mark Marin. So a lot of comedians got their start on comedy on the Comedy Channel and Comedy Central back then. Um, John Stewart was also another person who was on short attention span theater a lot. So that's where a lot of those guys cut their chops. And eventually they started bringing Who's Line... They actually started taping Who's Line in America. So you had a preponderance of American and North American comedians on there, and then sprinkled in with the occasional British person, usually Josie or Tony or Paul. Um, Sessions only lasted the first season, and then he went back to making uh, film and TV. Um, I don't know if I said this before, people may best know Sessions for being in a lot of Shakespeare films. Uh, he was in Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, the first place I remember seeing him was in Kenneth Bragg's Henry V, which had only come out like a year or two before Whose Line debuted on TV. And Sessions was a RADA-trained actor and was there with Brownock, so they knew each other. So it's not a surprise that he was in there. But when you look at the history of people who were on... Whose line? Like we said, Stephen Fry was in was on the radio show, and a lot of the early episodes of the television show. Hugh Laurie was on a couple times. Sandy Tosfig, who people would now know as the host of QI, who replaced Stephen Fry uh, a bunch of years ago. I don't remember what letter they start, what letter she started with. I think maybe L or M. So. She's been the host almost as long as Stephen Fry now. Um, lots of people you would probably recognize. Um, Stephen Frost, Steve Steen, um, 
Phil Lamar, who people may remember from Mad TV and also does a lot of cartoon work, was in a couple of the American episodes. There, it, When you look at the long list, there's you know dozens and dozens of people that were eventually on the show, and there's a fair number of people that even now I look at the list and I do not remember who they are. And no offense to them, but... You know, the regulars kind of floated to the top and were the ones that we saw all the time. That became everybody's favorites. You know, Proops and Josie and Paul and Tony, probably for me. Um, Like I said, it's the... And it was funny to see people that I knew from that show starting to appear in other places. Um, Tony Slattery turned up in all things, was in Peter's Friends... The, again, we're talking about Kenneth Branagh, the film with Branagh and Emma Thompson and Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and Rita Rudner, of all people. And there's Tony Slattery as one of the people in that movie, which blew my mind at the time. And, of course, I was only watching a lot of these guys through the filter of this show. I had no idea at the time all the success that Paul Merton was having on TV and Tony was having on TV and Josie started making movies. Josie was in Enchanted April uh, back then in the 90s and people may have seen her more recently in some Neil Gaiman stuff. You know, I believe in the audio book of Good Omens, she plays... Agnes Nutter, the witch that the prophecies are based on. I don't remember off the top of my head if she's in the first season of the TV show or not. But, um, you know, and of course, like I said, Ryan Stiles was on Drew Carey for the longest time, which is where he introduced Drew Carey to the show. And so Drew Carey produced and hosted the first couple seasons of the American version. So everything sort of nicely fits together. So, I'm just, uh, when I saw that it was the 35th anniversary, I wanted to commemorate how much I love the show. I was uh, hoping to get uh, my friend Justin on, who is maybe the other biggest fan of the show that I know of, and is also a huge Tony Slattery fan, (laughs) I would dare to say, to call him a a potential role model for Justin along with Ric Flair. You can imagine what those two people have in common. Um, So I was hoping to get him on to talk about... It would have been 20 minutes of us talking about our favorite bits, which probably would be fun for us to do, but horrible to listen to. So this is probably the best way to do it after all. So we should have a couple more... We've had some cancellations, so I have to apologize for there not being... More episodes recently. We do have a couple lined up, hopefully in the next week or two, that I'll be cranking out. There's also some leftover plot topics that I've been meaning to do that got pushed on the back burner. And, of course, it's coming up on October. I don't know if Carl is going to want horror-themed episodes of the podcast like we did last year or not. Um, I will probably try and make an effort, but I would not make that a guarantee. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.
Thank you.